Welcome to the Principal PLN Podcast, hosted by Dr. Spike Cook, Jessica Johnson, and Teresa Stagger. Principal PLN is a weekly roundtable discussion about current topics in educational leadership. Be sure to follow our hosts on Twitter, at Dr. Spike Cook, at Principal J, and at Principal Stagger. There are many great ways to contact the PLN, follow the hashtag Principal PLN, or at Principal PLN on Twitter. You can also search and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. All links can be found online at principalpln.com. Nelson Mandela there. All right. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Principal PLN podcast. This is episode 55, and we are calling this the Mindful School Leader. If you're just joining us um, from tweeting on Snapchat this morning, um, that topic was stress, which totally leads into The Mindful School Leader. Um, this is a book that we read um, as recommended by Ariel Price at Corwin and decided that this is a book that every principal needs to read. This is a book I needed seven years ago. I don't know about you, Spike and Teresa. Um, but we have the authors of the book here, um, Kirsten Olson and Valerie Brown. And I just want to read you a little bit uh, from the back of the book that just really tells really well what this book is about. And I'm sure you're going to be hooked. Um, if you think you don't have time for mindfulness, think again. This handbook, named the Best Courageous Book of 2014 by the Center for Courage and Renewal, was written with school leaders in mind. Your responsibilities, your stress, and your schedule. When you add mindfulness into your day, bit by bit, you'll become a more effective leader and a more positive force for your staff and students. Mindful school leaders are better at managing meetings, responding create creatively to complex situations, and achieving resilience at work and at home. Take the first steps to transform your life and your school. So I welcome Valerie Brown and Kristen Olson or Kirsten Olson to the podcast. Thank you. And maybe we'll just start out with what led you to focus on mindfulness for school leaders? Did you think we were stressed? <laughs> <laughs> that was a rhetorical joke. Right. <laughs> um, uh, do you want me to start or? Yes, and you, you go ahead and start and I'll jump in. Okay. So um, Val and I, my, my wonderful, wonderful co-author and um, beautiful friend, and I have been working with educational leaders of many kinds for over two decades. And it became clear to us, especially as sort of No Child Left Behind and Race to the Top and Common Core began to overhang in the lives of our clients and um, associates more and more, that some of the practices that we were deeply engaged in as people these mindfulness practices really needed to become a part of our the specific leadership work that we were doing with people. And so that's what led us to write this book. We, we looked and saw that there really was no book on mindfulness practices specifically for people leaving schools and leading educational organizations of some kind. And we think that the work of educational leadership has become one of the most challenging kinds of occupations in our country at this moment. So there is a critical need for putting mindfulness practices together with this very, very challenging and important uh, leadership work. Yeah, um, and for me, part of the 
part of my struggle was wanting to provide, um, to make these practices about mindfulness really accessible and easy to use. Um, nobody's going to go and sit in a cave in a Himalaya you know, and start meditating, but really making these practices that are very simple um, uh, and available for, for people, for the average person. And the reason for writing this book, everything what Kirsten said is exactly right, but I had an experience that um, really sort of opened my eyes. And last year, uh, I co-led two retreats. One was in Barcelona, and it was for, for um, educators. And there were hundreds and hundreds of educators uh, who, who came to this retreat wanting to learn about mindfulness, for, specifically for, educate, for educators, for teachers and for leaders, school leaders. And then about a month later, I led a, a second retreat on mindfulness for educators, for teachers in New York State. And it was really interesting because both groups said, said exactly the same things. They identified exactly the same stresses. The group in Barcelona, the group in New York City. Um, they both reported that they felt overwhelmed. They both reported that they felt that they put their self-care last, that they felt underappreciated. And yet, they wanted so much to be there for their students. And, um, and they really identified a lack of time, uh, an extraordinary time crunch, and um, a lack of connection, not only with themselves, but with their colleagues, and you know, just generally moving throughout the world in their daily lives. And so um, it really was a paradox to me that, that these educators who wanted to be there so much for their students had very little time for themselves and really um, put themselves last. And so um, we know, of course, that there are hundreds and hundreds of resources for students and for teachers on mindfulness, as well there should be. Um, but there was nothing, nothing for the school leader. And we really thought that there was a need to fill that void with practices are available and accessible. Um, you know, as I read and you know about the mindfulness retreat, I thought, oh my gosh, that would be amazing and probably needed for every principal. However, I don't know about um, you, Teresa and Spike, but I know that's not something that would be covered by our district. You know, we can go to a conference on RTI or, you know, on just leadership topics in general, but something like a mindfulness retreat would not be because it's not, you know, directly impacting student achievement or, you know, coaching principles. Have you ever done anything like within, you know, a principals conference or is that something you're considering? Because then I could get the mindfulness retreat at the conference. That's a really good idea <laughs> to add it to a conference. Yeah. Um, uh, I just want to say, um, as Val and I have gone around the country talking about the book, where we really hear you, there has been so much more interest in it. And so many educational leaders have said to us, sort of, how do we bring this to our schools? And how do we begin legitimizing this in terms of district priorities or individual school priorities? And so we really think that this work is kind of the wave of the future. And we feel 
a lot of care about how it moves out into the world. But Val and I do do many retreat-like kinds of... Um, uh, we try to build a retreat-like setting within a school and engage in some of these practices. And we do half-day, full-day um, kinds of things, even sometimes just a couple of hours with people. So we're really trying to make this as adapted to school settings as possible so that people can bring a kind of sense of retreat into their work. Um, their and to that I would add, uh, there have been lots of studies that have come forward um, in, which, in, in which principals have said that one of the strongest needs that they have, one of the, um, one of the gaps in their professional development and in their leadership development is the need for re renewal. And reflection. And for reflection. And without this without this renewal and reflection and mindful inquiry is a part of it. Mindfulness is a part of this. Um, um, I, I just wonder what we, you know, what we're really doing here. Um, so this is, uh, part of this, yes, is cutting edge and part of this is really um, where I, I think the sector is already moving. People already recognize the need for mindfulness within the school context. Um, think about this. The major corporations in the United States, Congress for God's sake, <laughs> in the United States, the US military is using these practices. This is not something unusual. This is not, this, these practices are now quite uh, embedded in the corporate world, right, and within within all of these different sectors. So, are we? I mean, and we're it's really the educational sector that has been lagging behind. We're really so convinced of the connection between this this capacity and making space for renewal and reflection, and more powerful and profound. Um, leadership decisions and leadership vision. So I think it's it's not just about taking care of self, this critical need that Val named, but really the impact on the whole organization when the leader begins to engage in some of these practices. And they become instantiated and embedded in the culture. It is truly transformational. And that's, you know, that for us is what's so exciting is we see that happening. Right, and there's lots of literature on the contagion, emotional contagion. So leaders that are stressed out, that uh, that stress has a way of seeping into the entire um, school system. Right. Um, I'm and and so this is really, this is far more than an individual. I don't remember if I said this, and I apologize if I did, but one of the questions on SatChat is, how do you deal with stress? And one of the principals, Ross LeBrun, said, stress? I often curl into a fetal position and hope for the best outcomes. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I haven't actually curled into the fetal position, but I have often told these two principals that I just want to hide under my desk and rock. So, ugh. okay, maybe Spike, go ahead and ask the next question to actually get us beyond <laughs> um, curling in a ball. 
So one of the things that we talked about uh, after we read the book was how, like, what do you suggest us to do to separate from work and the rest of our lives? Because that transition is very difficult. Mm, great. Yeah. Um, so I think the notion of, of separating oneself out, that there's work here, and then there's school here, and then there's play here, and then there's this here, and then there's that here. Um, uh, I, I think that that carves a person up into lots, compartmentalizes a person's life that may not really serve us very well in the long run. So the, the idea here with mindfulness is actually the opposite of that. Mindfulness is about weaving um, these moments of stopping, pausing, and breathing into your life so that you don't turn, turn on mindfulness when you get home and turn it off when you're in school. That when you're standing in line in the grocery store, you remember, oh yeah, breathe. When, <laughs> you know, when you're having a conversation with someone in the hallway, you remember, oh yeah, maybe I should take a breath. And it's, it's the continuity of the practice that becomes habituated, that becomes automatic, so that you don't have to think about it. And, uh, and, and it's that kind of daily practice. It's the lived practice. It's these tiny little mundane micro-movements, ordinary, unsexy moments that then build, build up over time that then support and strengthen a person's internal capacity, not just for leadership, for being present, for being aware, for self-regulation, for emotional um, regulation, and all of these things. So, but it, but it yeah. actually, um, it actually builds happiness. It sounds a like a unicorn. Like, how do you achieve that? Really, it sounds amazing. That's what I was going to say. Is just <laughs> I don't know, is this is all based on the lives that Val and I really lead. And I think that's an important piece of authenticity is this isn't, um, we really believe this isn't something you, you study and you do a lit review on and you teach about. You really have to live this to, um, to speak about it in a grounded, um, truthful way. And so what, what we're talking about is based really on the experiences of our own lives, of us coming from places of being much too busy ourselves, much too necessarily focused on the next achievement or the next goal, um, and really coming into both of us some significant life crisis and realizing that we needed to do some kind of reevaluation or things weren't looking too good. And for both of us, that really began this very, very unglamorous, not dramatic practice of, as Val just said, beginning to breathe, beginning to go outside of our buildings or our offices and look up at the sky, of um, hearing church bells when we walked out the door instead of rushing immediately to our car. Um, those are the kinds of beginning practices that don't sound like much, but 
in our own lived experience have begun to really add up to something very, very powerful. So the stop and smell the roses moments. Which sound like kind of a cliche. Right. So but, but really we are doing some kind of very significant brain training when we are doing that. And, um, you know, we don't, we don't love to talk about the neurobiology of this, but there is an enormous neurobiological literature which describes what we're talking about, about sculpting our brains to override some of our threat um, patterns and the ways in which we are constantly scanning the environment for threat and potential encroachment, and that's the way our brains are wired. So we have to learn how to override that and to notice that and in some way authorize ourselves biologically for greater moments and more moments of peace. Does that make I, sense? Yeah, it sure does. Um, you know, one of the, in, in, and this is a lot in what you spoke to at, at the beginning, a common concern from principals, you know, I have so much to do, There's, you're so stressed, I need more time, I can't sleep, my mind is spinning. So where, where, how do you start with that? How can you even begin when you're at this point? Yeah. Right. So um, there's nothing magical here. Uh, there's no unicorn, <laughs> unicorn uh, magic story, magic bullet. Um, it's real simple. You begin by just noticing that you're breathing. And that may sound like, duh. <laughs> You know, so obvious, but the truth is that we are so incredibly distracted and, uh, and that the act of just noticing, just pausing, you know, even if it's for five seconds, um, has a way of sort of rewiring the brain it, and, and calming the, the whole nervous system down activating, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system. And that sounds like a big fancy thing, but it isn't. It's as simple as really just taking a breath, stopping, pausing, and taking a breath, and noticing what's happening right now. Yeah, and, and we all have those moments. We have, Val and I have had people in our workshops or retreats who say to us, you know, I actually don't know that I've ever consciously breathed before. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really the way a lot of us, most of us live. And that's, there's nothing, you know, that's way, the way that we are programmed. And that's part of the constraints of the jobs that we have and contemporary life. So just we find just beginning to do some of these very simple practices. We have a practice in our book called Beauty Bath, where you, you simply find something that you find beautiful in your environment, and you look at it while you breathe for two minutes, three minutes, really noticing all of its details, noticing how it's sitting in its environment, what the colors are, what the smells of it are, if it smells. And that that in itself is a very calming and beginning to be somewhat transformational process. 
The, the other thing I want to say here is that we have really reached a tipping point in our society with all of this, with the busyness, with the craziness, the crazy busyness. Now, you know, you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you might take a shower, whatever. You don't think, oh, well, should I brush my teeth? Should I, <laughs> you know, should, should I engage in these daily hygiene activities? You do it. It's sort of automatic. Well, that's the same thing with mindfulness. It, 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 it's mental hygiene. It's the kind of practices that, that support us in our daily life. And uh, the, the hope is that with this book, um, we'll take the sort of woo-woo out of it and make it, you know, just this normal sort of everyday thing that you just do. Right. Um. Dan Siegel has a great quote about that, that mindfulness should be like brushing your teeth every morning. And we think it will become like that. So, so you guys are on the cutting edge. I love that. Mental hygiene. That's, it, that's great. Um, how, um, how can mindfulness help the school leader with, um, this comes up frequently, difficult conversations, whether it's with a staff member or an angry parent, how can being mindful help us in those moments? Right, so often when we're engaged in a, in a so-called difficult conversation, we're, we're, uh, we're triggered, you know, and, um, and therefore we're in this stress response, which doesn't contribute to really thinking in, um, in a way that supports a, a sort of a courageous conversation, a conversation that will help the parties move toward resolution, you know. Um, and so what mindfulness does, again, is insert this, hey, wait, slow things down here. Let's pause. Let's take a breath. And let me think about how I really want to respond to this person as opposed to reacting and being on automatic pilot. And just think about it. You know, I mean, we do this all the time. We just react to what another person says, and then we're off to the races. And so part of this is about slowing it down, taking a breath, and just taking a, like a little tiny timeout. Okay, let's take a timeout here, and how do I, and assess, how do I really want this conversation to be held? How do I want this other person to feel? How do I want to feel? And I think there's also just another piece of this, which is a mindfulness practice begins to allow you to actually notice what feelings are coming up for you in a moment, in a cortisol-infused moment, to take a break from that. And that can allow conversations to move in very different ways. If I feel connected to me and can hear what's going on inside of me, during a difficult moment, it allows for much larger possibilities than would have been if I were simply in a triggered place. And we see that happening again and again through a kind of daily hygiene practice of these um, sorts of breathing activities, noticing activities. Right. We tend to go back to um, these, these uh, 
emotional responses that have become ingrained, such as maybe the fear response, the anger response. We go there. I mean, we all know that. That's what we do. You know, we have these sort of habituated ways of responding. And so mindfulness is exactly what Kirsten is talking about. It's opening the range. It's expanding the range of, uh, of ways of responding. And, and that happens in noticing what's duh, well, of course, but it isn't. And it isn't because we've got so much incoming data, we've got so much going on, we're juggling so much that we just don't, we, we, we're on overwhelm. I think overwhelm is a constant for school leaders. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. So most of, many of the, uh, my clients, really, they begin work, you can relate to this, with looking at their emails at 5 a.m., Mm-hmm. Then, <laughs> then um, you know, trying to engage with their family for the moments that they can, and then hurtling into work. We call it the cannonball. They cannonball into work, and for the next 12 or 13 hours, will be totally consumed in the demands of their day, with sort of moments of even higher peak intensity around some particular crises of the day. And so within that environment, we find ourselves saying to our clients, where is it possible for you to begin to take breaks? How is this tension and allostatic load on your body affecting your leadership decisions? And how would you like to be and feel more in your day? Wow. We open the book with one of our clients and his description for me is so powerful about how his life began to change. Um, and really, you know, his describing being able to notice this beautiful garden that he makes a right turnaround every day on his way to work. He said, I just simply had never seen it before. And um, again, that sounds so undramatic. But, um, but it really is something that Val said so beautifully. This is also about taking yourself seriously. Taking yourself seriously as a leader. Who are you? What do you actually need to be the you that you want to be as a leader? I mean, this is such profound and important work that we do, influencing the lives of so many people. And there is tremendous pressure on us culturally to always be moving forward and serving others. But if we are not taking care of us, then in some way we are an empty vessel. We are a shell of what we could be and will embody in terms of many of our leadership values because that's a piece that's missing. And, yeah. And we what we hear often... T- too is that this this these kinds of practices so are, are these kinds of self care practices are almost selfish, right? You know, but we really, yeah, we really would challenge that to say that it's really taking care, um, you know, and and as Kirsten says all the time, being on your own side. How about that? How about that for leadership? That one, 
we do that in our in the, many of our sessions is when we're pr doing a mindful listening and speaking practice, which we ask people to do, and is such a lovely, beautiful thing even to be present to how the environment changes in the room. But we say to people, show up, speak your truth, and be on your own side. And so often, I think, in many of our leadership stances and internal dialogue. We are very, very self-critical and always asking ourselves, what else could we be doing? And, and can I just say for the, the principals who are listening and saying, this is crazy, there's no way I can do this, I, this, the past two weeks I have gotten up early every morning to either run or do yoga and meditate and sit on my back deck and listen to the birds and discover that there's an owl in my neighborhood. I have been more productive every day since doing that, like I've been leaving work earlier because I've been getting things done. Um, it, 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 it's amazing. That's great. Wonderful. You're a right. model. Well, just in the, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, but you know that, Jessica, to me, that's a kind of um, really powerful leadership. And um, so my question to you is, as those, as, as that continues, how are you going to take that into the larger system in which you have so much influence? That's a great question. And, and here's kind of one that, that you know, moves forward from that. So how, how can, as leaders, how can we deal with frustration and use it to motivate? Yeah, so I, I think whether we're talking about frustration, resentment, um, uh, these are all external stressors, and um, I think the thing with an ex with whatever whatever it is, these stresses are going to be here, and uh, the the practice, and it really is a practice, is to notice. Okay, I'm getting frustrated. My heart is beating faster. My <laughs> palms are getting sweaty. You know, I'm really getting triggered here. You know, to notice what's really happening. With that, then we have a range of options about how to handle that. Um, so, I, it, you know, again, this may sound like really super obvious, um, but, but the practice is to notice what's happening and, and slowing slow things down. I just want to just jump in there, Valen, just to Please. say being able to notice that you're getting frustrated is in itself very, very powerful. That's just, um, and, and it's something just to try out because some, you know, the, our Saturday mornings are going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> Let's all hold together that we're going to notice how, when we're getting frustrated and simply observe that. And mindfulness is all about observing oneself without judging and being present to what is, whatever it is, being present to it. Can I just shout out about that? I mean, truly, that is that is such a big ticket item. We think that, that no, no, I'm, I'm serious. We think that noticing that something's arising is, it, we discount that. We edit it out and say, that's nothing. But that isn't nothing. That is huge to notice what's arising in real time. I mean, that's a leadership move. You know, that is a huge, big deal. 
And so if there's anything I'd like to communicate to folks, it's that the, the act of noticing what's happening real time is a major leadership act because then we've got a whole range of choices. Right. And noticing when the inner critic is alive and well and saying, you did it wrong, you did all of the stuff that happens to us. Or you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be frustrated right now. Right. You it shouldn't be. A should message as opposed to being with what is. Right. Because we know that when those, when that internal critic comes up, when that messaging, that internal messaging is happening, the person is in stress mode. That's the nature of the internal critic. Kirsten often calls this the mid-evil executioner voice. I call that voice the, in, the little stinker, you know, but that is essentially the stress mode. So that voice that says, you shouldn't be frustrated, right? You shouldn't be resentful. That's not what real leaders do. Notice that. Okay, these are some really great. Uh, <laughs> these are some really great uh, suggestions, and I think you know one of the things that happens to school leaders is um, whether they acknowledge the frustration or not, it's there. Like you said, it doesn't go away, mm -hmm. and they can often be seen as grumpy, even if they're you know just dealing with their emotions. I mean, personally, I get that a lot. Like. I try to be very, very positive, and and uh, when people don't see me like that, then it's uh, you're grumpy or something, you know. And the reality is, some some of the things that you described, it's it's so right on. Like as soon as we get into the door, I call it being smothered. We're smothered yeah. with questions, with problems, yeah. and so how do you deal with? I'll be honest. How do you deal with being uh, viewed as grumpy, even just because you're acknowledging your frustrations? Yeah. Do you want to jump in, Kirsten? You go, you go. Okay, so um, I think one of the great tragedies um, in our time is that we are not, uh, per the, the permissioning of owning one's own emotions is that smothered. And when a person, particularly a leader, does not own his or her own emotions, we become inauthentic. And an inauthentic person, an inauthentic leader, is not a person you want to follow anywhere. And so I think it's hugely important for us as leaders, for us as people, to own whatever it is we're feeling. And that's really where mindfulness comes up. It's about, um, it's about noticing, owning, recognizing um, what we're feeling. And that these are not, this is not permanent. It's not gonna. It, it they, these emotions come and go. At the moment, I'm grumpy. Then yeah. Next moment, I'm feeling fine. Yeah. I, I want to follow on that too. A lot of the work that I do with leaders is really about being authentic and being truthful about what is what's really happening and. Um, I understand, Spike, what you're saying is sort of there's an expectation mm -hmm. that you will always be moving towards the positive and kind of holding that um, for your community as part of your leadership stance. And I think that there are great burdens to that. And um, as Val said, um, part of 
part of real leadership, I think, is um, being truthful and um, being true to what is really happening. And so I think that that's part of a move that we have to make as individual leaders and as a sector, being more truthful, being more honest, being more able to say what is real in terms of um, our individual building situation, our larger district, and in the sector nationally. I think that that's, that's part of the work of mindfulness, is allowing us to see that clearly and to take that into our worlds with more authenticity and truthfulness. Uh, Spike, one of the comments I heard one school leader say is the need, he, he said that he had the need to be terminally polite. You know, in every, in every context at all times, to be polite and nice and, you know, and that it was basically killing it, you know, right. and, and yet, the land of nice, right, and um, the, the truth is that people are really quite sharp. And that they do, per they can, they perceive when there's inauthenticity in the room, right? And uh, and then that then triggers the other person's threat, fear mechanism system within themselves because they're saying to themselves internally, "Can I trust this person? Is this person real? Am I getting what I? Is this real? What I'm really seeing?" Um, so it creates this whole dynamic that you know is not even spoken about, but but's present in the room. So how do you deal with this? How do you deal with it? Um, what I would say is that you don't. You, there's no need to apologize for uh, for feeling whatever it is you're feeling at the moment, but to just say you know this is what's happening for me at the moment. I think that the problem with with expressing oneself is that is the lack of safety in many of these communities. It's not safe, right? Emotionally, it's not safe to, to speak one's truth in that way. Um, and so there's work to be done there. That's great. I mean, I, I can speak for, uh, you know, Teresa and Jessica that this has been a really amazing uh, podcast. And yes. uh, I think we've, really benefited from it. Um, I guess, you know, before we close out, um, if you were to give us, you know, maybe three takeaways, um, because work is coming on Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, <it> is. <laughs> what could be, you know, one or two or maybe three things that you would say, okay, try, try this. So I didn't hear the last part of the question. Um, practices to try. Okay. Yeah, this week. Just Monday morning, here we go. Try these things and see how, and we'll report back to you later. Great. Beautiful. So I, I want to just, just open, Val, um, I want you to start. But in the context of this conversation, I just want to say as a first thing, sit with yourself for a moment as a leader and acknowledge that you really matter. The whole, the whole you, the, the intellectual you, the emotional you, the spiritual you, the somatic you. 
matter tremendously in terms of your leadership competence and effectiveness and your sense of um, contentment and engagement with the work. So that's to me a really first piece is, live, is John Kabat-Zinn says, live your life like it really mattered. Are you as a leader living your life like your life really matters? To me that's a powerful fundamental first piece is that sitting with yourself truthfully and honestly and being in that. I totally agree with that and I think it's incredibly important and yet it sounds, you know, it, it's, it is such a huge, huge practice to be on our own side, to be there for ourselves, to put an arm around ourselves. And in terms of practices, I would say number one, you eat every day. You eat a meal every day. Choose a meal, breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And take two or three bites and really taste the food. Put down your cell phone. Put down the devices. Taste the food, even if it's two bites. The other thing I would say is what Kirsten always talks about, which is look at the sky. Just look at the sky. Look yeah. at the sky and notice that you're breathing. So we ask... Um, and the third, the third practice, um, sometime throughout the day, notice, at, notice that you're breathing. Just notice. Notice when you're editing and critiquing how you're breathing. You're not breathing deep enough, wide enough, long enough. Just notice. Um, we ask people that we work with to actually put some of these things in their calendar. To um, have a two-minute pause where they're noticing their breathing. To ask their assistant, if they have one, to tell them to go outside of the building and look up at the sky for one minute. Two times a day. Um, to make a commitment to 10 minutes of alone time in one's office to eat lunch. That's a big, that can be a big commitment for some of the folks we work with. But I think this act of actually beginning to schedule these things as part of the routine work of being a leader is one way to begin. Thank you so much. That's awesome because I think a lot of times, you know, especially if you're listening to this in the car right now, I know, and because uh, we've been back channeling back and forth, like both Teresa, Jessica, and myself feel very calm right now. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that those who are listening are feeling the same way. <laughs> and I really thank you for giving us like some really solid suggestions that we can use and start to implement. Um, and like you said, I think that things have changed so much in our society that that's not going to be looked at as like, wow, Spike has really gone off the deep end. He wants to go look at the sky for a minute. I think. <laughs> well, maybe some people will think that. That's okay. <laughs> um, but I, I think that those are, are really solid suggestions that, that, yes, we can implement right away. And since we have your, your information, we will certainly report back to you. But um, let's, uh, for our audience, um, uh, and we'll start with you, Kirsten, um, you know, where can they connect with you? And do you have anything coming up that, that you'd like to promote? 
Um, so uh, I am on Twitter and um, uh, easily Googleable, and I love and Val and I both love hearing from people. Um, and at my website um, and at Val's website, all the places that we are appearing and giving talks um, are available. And so we'd love to to see anyone there and um, keep the conversation going and to support this work in any way we can. Right, so I absolutely do that. You can get me through Twitter, Google, my website. And also, I will be speaking at the NAESP um, conference in, uh, in California on July 1st, and I'll be talking about mindfulness. That's great. Spike and I will be there, too. So, cool. Actually, I won't be there. I, I'm going to be in, in Disney with my family. I thought yeah. I told you that, Teresa. Oh, what? Yeah. That's hey. to be mindful. Yeah. <laughs> we want to go. Yeah. We'll pay attention. I'll pay more attention next time. Well, Teresa, yeah, you guys should connect then while, while you're out there. That's awesome because there, she can introduce you to uh, there's a really growing you know social media presence at that conference, and they're doing some really cool things, and I think they're setting some interviews up and stuff for, uh, for, for school leaders. So that would be great, Val, if you guys could connect. That would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, thank you again, um, uh, Kirsten and Val. You did an awesome job of really helping us uh, with some specific mm -hmm. strategies. And then, like you said, you know, the overall, the big picture uh, about how all this uh, is impacting us as school leaders. So, I want to thank you again. And um, if you like, uh, you know, what you see here and what you hear, make sure to connect with us at. Principal PLN on Twitter. Our hashtag is Principal PLN, and of course we have our website, uh, PrincipalPLN.com. Thank you so and much. Make oh. sure to buy their book, The Mindful School Leader. <laughs> thank you. Must read. <laughs> thank yes. you. Thank you. Mindful School Leader. Uh, it's out at Corwin Press, and we really recommend that you you purchase that. Uh, Jessica, one last wow. word. Principal PLN out. Okay. Thanks for sharing in the learning with us today. Remember to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and continue the conversation by joining the Boxer Group. Links can be found at principalpln.com.